Welcome to another episode of the Providence Friarcast, presented, presented by, by PCBB, 1917.com. Your home for Providence College basketball news, notes, and opinions. Now here's the founder of PCBB, 1917.com, and your host, Mike Hopkins. We're back here for a, an exam break week uh, on the podcast. This is uh, a little a little breather in between the Providence's last game against UMass and their next game against Stony Brook. Uh, the players are all in the midst of taking finals at the moment. I'm joined here again by Brendan McGarr and Chris Grenham. Uh, I think we all feel pretty confident that we did pretty well in our midterms, but we'll see. Uh, we'll see what people think of the Friars. Uh, Coming off a one and one week, I think since the last time we did a podcast, uh, needing overtime to beat Brown, and then obviously losing their last time out on the road at UMass. Um, we'll talk about all that. We'll talk about uh, a little bit uh, about Stony Brook going forward, and then kind of just a lot of general talk about about Providence and what's been going on through the first ten games. Brendan, why don't we start with you? Let's let's get your your impressions from last week in terms of the Brown game, the UMass game, kind of what you think this team is is looking like right, right now through ten games. Honestly, Mike, I mean, if you were to go back to the beginning of the season, you look at the schedule and you're saying, okay, that's a win, that's a loss, that's a loss, that's a win. I think that the Friars are right there, with one exception of obviously being the UMass game, and even then, you have to look into the circumstances going into that game where you had a, a Tyron Cartwright who was clearly not 100%. You didn't have your starting uh, off guard in Alpha Diallo and maybe your most dynamic offensive player off the bench in Malik White. You know, with three losses at this point, you know, one of them coming against uh, an Elite Eight caliber team, I think, against uh, Minnesota and then, you know, going down to the Ryan Center and you know, URI finally getting that uh, monkey off the back and being the Friars. Um, you know, I think this team is right where it needs to, it is, or ex- maybe ex- I expect it to be, with obviously the exception of the UMass game, maybe. I think what most people are, you know, in panic mode about is the close wins against the Belmonts, the Browns, and the Riders. Those are the games that are have the people the most concerned as, um, you know, we get through the, the main crux of the non-conference schedule with three games left to go before opening at St. John's uh, a few days after Christmas. Yeah, I think it's probably the the nature of the wins, like you said, that has people close to that edge. But there's really no need to be there. I mean, the UMass loss is bad, but you know injuries fueled that one, so you can get over that. Uh, URI and Minnesota are games that before the season started, you could have assumed that this team might lose. Um, and seven and three is not horrible. You know, this is a huge week. Brett and I were talking before that this might be the one of the biggest weeks of the season so far, uh, just kind of defining this team and seeing what they can do, how they can adjust injuries. Cause it uh, doesn't sound like Malik White's going to be back for a while. Uh, Alpha Diallo might not be back before St. John's. Hopefully, you know, maybe you could get him back in some form against Houston, but I'm not really sure. Uh, but yeah, you know, seven and three with the injuries that they've had, it, it really is not horrible. It's fine. I'm not sure what people were really expecting out of this team, but uh, you know, granted, I get the nature of the wins. Some of these close wins against Belmont and, and Ryder and Brown and stuff could shake people up, but they'll be fine. Just step away from the ledge. They'll be okay. Uh, in terms of the injuries, um, I think it sounds like Cartwright is still dealing with a little bit of a tender ankle, so um, mm-hmm. I think they, they would love to stay away from him, even maybe against Stony Brook. 
give him like a full, you know, seven days or so off um, to really get get healthy because it's clear that he's not, and it, and they really need him to be because he just has not been looking like himself the last few games. And if they Mikhail Lankford has played okay, I think the last few games, but he's a freshman and he's just going to have ups and downs. I don't know that they can rely on him per se at this, certainly not at this point in the season. As much as Cartwright is really the catalyst of the offense in, in many ways, so Cartwright dealing with a sore ankle, but I think not a huge deal. It's it's just one of those nicks that happens during a basketball season. But I think they'd love to get him healthy before uh, Houston certainly, and and when Big East play comes, um, Diallo also seems like it's not going to be a huge deal. Um, he probably it doesn't sound Cooley said during his radio show Tuesday night he doesn't think that Diallo or White will play on Sunday against Stony Brook. But it, but it sounds like he's going to eventually be back for, at the at the worst, St. John's. So you're going to have him for the whole Big East slate, possibly against Houston, like you mentioned. White, though, it sounds like it's going to be weeks. I think we've all kind of heard the rumors. I saw some people on Twitter, six to eight weeks. I mean, various rumors right after the fact about a broken leg. doesn't sound like that's accurate because it does sound like it's his knee. He's been wearing a, a brace on his knee, still on crutches. Diallo a little bit less on the crutches, according to Cooley, during the radio show. I think that's positive. But in terms of the injuries, Chris, I don't know what, what you would look at in terms of a reasonable timeline for people to not panic about these guys getting back. Yeah, I think you made a good point about Kyron. It'd be nice if they could get him a full week off because clearly he's been pretty banged up for a while now, maybe since late November. You're going back towards like BC and Ryder. He hasn't really been himself. He's been pretty pretty banged up. Um, and it was unfortunate that they had to turn to him against Brown. You know, ideally, PC wins that game by double digits and you don't even have to bring him in at all. And it's really, they shouldn't have had to, you know, that this team shouldn't need him against Brown. But Brown, to be fair, came out, kind of shot the lights out and uh, and they had to turn to Cartwright. So that kind of stunk. But yeah, I, I agree with you. Uh, if they can give him a week, that would be great. But I think realistically, this team besides maybe Houston, they can get through the rest of this non-conference schedule without those three guys. And if you can go in with a healthy Kyron and a healthy Alpha into St. John's, that would be the ideal scenario. It's just having those two guys back in full strength for Big East play because that's really the focus here. Yeah, I think I think the, the focus, obviously, has got to get everybody healthy. And I think people kind of forget that UMass is not, not the sisters of the poor. They have a new coach. They still have some good players. Pipkin's a good player. He shouldn't have been able to do everything he did uh, in the last game, scoring 30 yeah. points and pretty much getting to the rim whenever he wanted. He shouldn't be able to do that. But, I mean, he's not a bum. He's a good player. He's an experienced player. But UMass is going to be like a middle-of-the-road team. They're in the, around the 150 range in Ken Palm right now. So they're not mm -hmm. they're not the scissors of the poor, but, you know, they're not. They should. Providence was favored in the game, even with the injuries, and they should have won the game. I think that's. I don't think that's unfair to say. They, if they, And if they had made some free throws down the stretch, who knows, maybe they would have won the game. Um, but. The next couple opponents, Stony Brook uh, picked to finish fourth in the America East. Not a great year for the America East overall. Uh, they are, I think, in the 230s somewhere right now. So, I mean, obviously Houston's going to be tough. They're, uh, it's, but it's a neutral game where Providence will have a lot of uh, the home court advantage. So uh, they should be able to get through this. And, and I think a fourth loss, whether, I mean, it, it's really bad if it comes on Sunday. But if it happens to come on a neutral floor against Houston, I mean, it's not good, but 
I mean, I think it wouldn't be the end of the world. Cover. Yeah, but it's tough because the Big East this year just looks like a total bear. And Cooley's mm-hmm. best record in this current Big East is 11 wins, so they would probably need 11 with four losses just to, to have a, the, the appropriate resume to get in that large bid. But, Brendan, what, what is your thought on, on the, the remaining schedule and how they can get through it with the injuries? Honestly, Mike and Chris, I think this might be the most important week of the season coming up. Uh, you know, Three games uh, before the holiday. Sunday afternoon, Stony Brook, you mentioned the neutral, neutral site game against Houston, and then closing out uh, two days before Christmas at home at the dunk against Sacred Heart. I think, you know, Ed Cooley has, has keeps saying, and he said it last night after uh, he was on his radio show, that this team still hasn't found his identity yet. And that has to be a little bit concerning, 10, ten games into the season. You know, granted, injuries and, you know, still maybe adjusting to not having Emmett Holt, that plays a part in it, but you're still dealing with, you know, a couple seniors or three seniors and Jalen Lindsay, Rodney Bullock, and Tyron Cartwright who have been around the block per se. They understand, uh, you know, what it takes to get ready for Big East play. So that's a little bit concerning to me. But um, I think this is a big week in terms of maybe laying the foundation in terms of what kind of team might we see going to Big East play. But there's also an asterisk too because we might not see the complete team we mentioned, uh, you know, maybe Kyron Cartwright held out on Sunday against uh, against Stony Brook. So we probably won't see uh, Alpha Diallo or Malik White. So it's almost like we're still reserving judgment a little bit. But, um, you know, but that also opens the door for other guys, too, to step up. Um, I thought Isaiah Jackson and Drew Edwards gave great minutes off the bench the other day against UMass. And I was a little bit puzzled, especially in the second half, when Isaiah Jackson, I think, only played two minutes after... I think maybe eight, uh, six or eight, seven points in the first half. I was surprised that Cooley stayed away from him for as long as he did in the second half. So, you know, it's kind of like you know, Cooley said last night. You know, it's next man up, and you know, it's an opportunity for uh, for guys like uh, Isaiah and Drew to, to come in and maybe hold down the fort as uh, guys get healthy. Yeah, Brendan, you talk about laying the foundation, and we talked about it a little bit before. Do you think that involves maybe throwing Nate Watson in the starting lineup and Mike? You know, this goes to you too, but I know a lot of people have pushed about that, and neither guy has been great on the block per se. But do you think it's time to maybe flop those two and give Watson a chance in the starting lineup? I think so. I think, uh, you know, Khalif Young, I, I think, you know, you go, you went with him early in the year because he is the, the veteran. He's, he's mm-hmm. been on the block at once, but um, I thought Nate Watson, you know, gave, uh, you know, great energy in the little bit of burst uh, in the second half, especially in the UMass game. I think it might be time to go with him. Extensively, because the one thing I don't like the this team when they have Rodney Bullock at the five, I just uh, I'm not a fan of that look. I know uh, it's a small ball mantra now; it's positionless basketball, and well, uh, but you need a big out there. And I especially noticed this the other day when uh, Pipkins was having his way and beating uh, the Friars perimeter guys off the dribble. There was no real last line of defense there, and you know. Rodney Bullock should not be viewed as your last line defense. It should be a guy that size of either uh, Nate Watson or Khalif Young. I think right now Nate Watson is far more polished offensively than Khalif mm-hmm. Young, so that's why I would be more inclined to go with him in a, in a starting role and have uh, Khalif come off the bench. I think that's a there's a common rumbling I've been hearing just reading things and talking to people is that they, they think that a lot of the issues right now are that Cooley is not playing the right players or not the right lineup. 
or he's sticking with someone too long, or like you, Brendan was saying, you know, Jackson plays well in the first half, he doesn't, you don't see him in the second half. I think that's been sort of a, an underlying problem for Cooley the last several years, but it's been different because he's only had six or seven guys, maybe eight, that you would go with. Now that there's ten or so guys who potentially could all play when everyone's healthy, it's a little bit more there's, more, there's more to choose from in terms of the guys who should be playing, in terms of what people's opinions would be. Uh, I think Watson in the starting lineup makes sense as something to shake things up coming out of the exam break. I, I think you could go a lot of different ways, but I, I agree that I think some of the, the propensity for for Cooley to just rely on Bullock and, and these smaller lineups, I, I just don't know that that's... And, and Stony Brook, just to look specifically at them, they're pretty much... They have two guards who are 5'11 and 6 foot, and then after that, they just play guys who are 6'5 to 6'7. They have one really big guy who doesn't really play a lot, who's 6'11. Besides that, they're pretty small. So people have been arguing, should they, should Providence, being the better team in all these games, should they be the team to play, to tailor their lineup for their opponent, or should they be imposing their will and forcing the other team to try to comply with their lineup? And I think that would be interesting to see what happens on Sunday because it's a clear size advantage inside, no matter who's playing the center, whether it's Watson or Young. And so maybe that's – and we've talked about it. I know, Brendan, you wrote about this a week or two ago, that the potential for even playing Watson and Young together in the backcourt. I'm not sure that we're going to see that just because, you know, I don't know that they add up to one really good player at the 4-5 right now, um, especially on defense. But I think you certainly should should see the ball go inside more, I think, on Sunday because they have a clear advantage. And between that and the and potentially – having some different lineups available, maybe playing different guys. Cooley just needs to, I think, get a little better at figuring out who's playing well and not just defaulting back at halftime to coming out of the locker room with the starting five or, well, yeah, I normally play the this this guy or this unit for the first five to seven minutes and then you sub. or like you, he's He's got to be a little more flexible, I think. Um, but part of it, I think, is he has to figure it out first. He needs to figure out who the people are that should be going in the in the in the particular places and and I mean Jackson's been a good example of that because he has had a little bit of Jekyll and Hyde in terms of how he's played but also his minutes have sort of been Jekyll and Hyde he played very well I mean and you look at he played pretty well against Brown too until that last like 45 seconds when he had those really stupid fouls that yeah. in overtime but besides that he played pretty well he played well in the first half against UMass a guy like Drew Edwards coming in off the bench playing a little defense I mean, it's got to be hard for some of these guys like Jackson and Edwards, and and you know part of it is that White's been out, so there's sort of that there's that aspect as well. There, people are all, everyone's in a different place kind of uh, because of that, but and Diallo too. But I think Cooley's issue right now, I think largest issue heading into the last few games of of non-conference play, is he's got to figure out what these lineups are going to look like in terms of are we going to go big, are we going to go small, and then who are the guys that he wants to ride with and who are the guys he trusts? And he's got to just implement that because right now, I mean, it, it's, it's kind of perplexing sometimes. I mean, to see, and part, you know, he had that, that quote after the Brown game, our identity is in shambles. And part of that's on him. Um, I mean, he, it's not fair to blame all of it on him because I think part of it is uh, the Emmett Holt issue. But I mean, there were 10 games into the season now, Biggie's play will be here you know, basically two weeks from today. So something has to give, and it would be nice, I think, it would make Friar fans feel a lot better 
if they figured it out on Sunday instead of maybe a lot of lackluster performance heading to Mohegan Sun against Houston, who's a pretty solid team. Yeah, I, I think it's kind of – you pointed out playing against a smaller lineup uh, against Stony Brook, and Brown wasn't the biggest lineup either, and they still – we still kind of showed the inability to get the ball inside, at least in the first half. I think Brown outscored PC in the paint like 16 to 10, 17 to 10, something like that, and, and that shouldn't be happening. You know, it's it's – I guess it comes back to the question – of do you impose your will on another team or do you flow with their lineups? And against a team like Brown or Stony Brook, you know, Providence is the team that should be setting the tone there, but clearly they're not doing that. And and it goes back to everything you were just asking. If it's, you know, who's playing when and, and just kind of finding who he wants to ride with against certain teams. So it'll be interesting to watch in terms of, I've kind of been fascinated with the Providence front court so far this year. So against a smaller lineup like Stony Brook, I think it'll be interesting to keep an eye out because they weren't great against Brown, who was a small lineup. and. You know they were again pretty average against UMass, but another small lineup like Stony Brook will be uh, will be interested to keep an eye out for that. I actually, uh, guys, it just came up with a good stat. Um, this is the first game that in Ed Cooley's career, that uh, in PC career, I should say, that Friars have lost right before the exam break. So they've always had a pretty good track record in those games right before the mm. exam break. So I think that's that's a different. Uh, Maybe a different variable that they haven't dealt with before a little bit, having that loss, and then maybe it, it, it hangs around a little bit longer than all the other ones because you're, you're dealing with the exam break as well. And I think that's also led to some panic in the streets. Uh, but uh, there is a track record in this uh, area where maybe he's going to shorten the rotation. You, you look at last year, you know, Ryan Sadikas, I don't, he wasn't really a factor. Maybe midway through the Big East season to the end, Ricky Council. I think Ed Cooley could even be bothered with somebody like that one. And um, yeah, I, there is a history in this in this area. I think maybe you need to start seeing it sooner rather than later. And I, that's why I think this week will be pretty telling in terms of you know rotations and everything. But like you said, the light will be left on because you don't have an Alpha Diallo, you don't have a Malik White, and you're going to have a, a still limited Tyra Cartwright. Yeah, and this is where the the, the upperclassmen really got to step up. Guys like Jalen and, and Kyron and Rodney, this is where they really make their due. Um, especially, like you said, there's a loss hanging around over the exam week. And, and that's important where those guys got to step up and kind of, you know, set the tone for some of the younger guys and lead the way through this week heading into Sunday against Stony Brook. Because they're, you know, without guys like Alpha in there, they've really got to set the tone. Um, so this is an important week, not only for the team, but for those three upperclassmen to kind of lead the charge here. Looking ahead specifically to Stony Brook, uh, they're four and seven on the year. They just lost to Hofstra in their last time out in a pretty tight game played in the eighties. Coaches Jeff Bowles in his second year uh, at the helm of the program. They're picked to finish fourth, as I mentioned, in the America East. Uh, their leading scorer is a redshirt sophomore. His name is Akwazi Yeboa. So shout out to John Rook. You'll have to figure that one out uh, from the UK. <laughs> Uh, he's averaging 13.2 points a game, and they have, uh, I think, uh, the leading rebounder, senior Tyrell Sturdivant, 4.6 rebounds a game. One of the better rebounders in Stony Brook history, actually. Um, also, guy to keep an eye on is a junior, junior college transfer, uh, Jerron Cornish. Coming on of late, he scored 22 points last time out, 18 in the second half. He now has four games in a row in double figures after entering the starting lineup two games ago. Uh, but as I mentioned, aside from Cornish, who's 5'11", and they have another guard, uh, UC Iregbo, who is six foot. everybody else is 6'5 to 6'7", including Cornish. 
uh, including Sturdivant. So uh, interesting to see how the lineups uh, rotate in that game. Game tips at two thirty at the dunk, kind of a weird time. The Patriots are playing, is that right? Four twenty-five. So that that could be a factor on the crowd, especially because it's Stony Brook to begin with. Ed Cooley on his radio show Tuesday night said that this game is more about Providence growing as a team than anything Stony Brook does. But I, I just I'm not sure that they're in a position to lose any more non-conference games, so they kind of have to figure it out uh, between now and December twenty-eighth. So Stony Brook, I, I don't know if anybody has anything specific on Stony Brook, but um. Oh. Oh. I have a a, a stat. This, yeah, this you will do. Make yeah. Th- this will make everyone button. very happy to hear. Uh, Providence this season is better at free throw shooting than Stony Brook. So I mean that is just phenomenal news for the Friars. Uh, Stony Brook. Probably the last 60, time we'll hear that all year. It it could be sixty five percent from the line. That is three hundred and thirteenth nationally. Providence. 66.8%, 271st nationally. But uh, Ed Cooley kind of talked about the free throw shooting, you know, because he was asked about it on the radio show. And I think he kind of he kind of lumped in the radio, the, the, uh, the free throw shooting with, with the mental toughness, with l- the lack thereof, and what he called his team soft um, after their game at UMass. And what he, he kind of expounded on what he meant by soft. He didn't necessarily mean, just physically soft. You meant they're a little mentally soft right now. The mental toughness, make, you got to make free throws at the end of the game. That's just part of mental toughness. You got to, got to make sure you're playing defense with focus. And so that's that. That was something he he mentioned. The free throw shooting is more of a mental toughness issue because they do practice it. So it's not. I don't think it's as much of a physical. I mean, maybe for a guy like Khalif Young, who's not the best free throw shooter, but I mean, Mikhaish and Langford. I think he's Mr. One for Two. I mean, every single time he goes one for two. So they need they and, yeah. and Cartwright hasn't been great either. And he's a pretty good free throw shooter for his career. I think he's in the eighties. So free throw shooting, interesting, uh, interesting stat there. Providence has the advantage. Also, Stony Brook sends their opponents to the line a lot. So you know, maybe this is a game they rebound on that front. There's no reason for us not to get to the line. I mean, Stony Brook is horrendous in in most defensive facets. So. If we can get to the line and hopefully improve our percentage there, that'd be nice. One thing I'll say about Stony Brook, they uh, played UConn, I think one of the early games this year. They were actually up at the half against UConn. Now, granted, UConn has struggled against you know, the little sixes to the four the whole year, it seems like. But, uh, you know, they got some guys, uh, Stony Brook, to knock down some uh, some uh, shots from distance. So, obviously, I'm sure guarding the three-point line will be a, be a point of emphasis, regardless of whether Ed Cooley says this game is more about the Flyers than while facing Stony Brook, but um, you still have to be conscious of your opponent and do your homework, and that's the one thing that kind of sticks out. The Stony Brook team, you know, has can put some shooters on the floor. Yeah, that's definitely the case. And the, the Cornish kid was was a pretty big time scorer at Broward, win Florida, which is one of the better JUCO programs. Yeah, and he he's sort of been coming on. He he think he missed the first couple games. He's only played, I think, seven games of the eleven, and he, but he started the last two, and uh, he was very good in the second half. As I mentioned against Hofstra last time out, so I mean there are some players to uh, to be concerned with, and as we saw against UMass, a guard who can score the ball can, can has been causing problems for Providence, and I think part of, part of that is not totally on Mikhaish and Langford, and it's not totally. I mean Cartwright's ankle is 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 sore, and but I think Alpha Diallo missing on that front is is very important because he is their stopper. I think. I mean Lindsay Lindsay too, but I think. Diallo is more physical, and I think he 
would have handled Pipkins a little bit more on on Saturday, and I mean, if they needed to, if he was just getting to the rim like he was, I think they could have put Diallo on him and and stemmed that tide. And I think Malik White's offense off the bench has also been been missing too. I mean, he he had been really a big spark in the last several games before he before he got hurt. So, I mean, those two are certainly are are missed in these in these kinds of games because. You you come out on a Sunday at two thirty. It's a little flat in the dunk. There's nobody there. Maybe and Stony Brook has been getting off to fast starts, so people should you know t- take note of that. And let's say it's uh, ten to two at the first uh, media timeout, and their problem is down eight. Ed Cooley could maybe go to Malik White and come in and bang a three and get some energy going. Diallo could could be uh, getting some stops, getting them out in transition. Um, and and that's just not there. So the other guys just have to step up. I mean, that's really the bottom line. And I think everybody knows that. It's it's next man up. That's just how it has to be. You get you get plenty of talented players on this roster, and they just need to figure it out. And hopefully, Stony Brook is a an opponent that they can <coughs> figure it out and still win. And uh, and then and then you hopefully get some reinforcements back for Houston at Mohegan Sun, which I think will be very fun. I will be there at Mohegan Sun and. Looking forward to getting up there a little bit early and uh, maybe checking out the blackjack tables. We'll see what happens. Get St. John's first, though, Mike. St. John's, yeah, come on. That's right. Well, you know, <laughs> I can I can follow it on my phone while I'm, while I'm yeah, playing blackjack. Yeah, that's probably a good move. Um, they, and they play they play St. Joe's from, from Philly, right? Joe's. Yeah, yeah. Which is weird. It's a weird, uh, weird doubleheader time. It's like a four thirty game, I believe. You thought maybe like a seven and a nine o'clock card, but. I guess uh, I think it's on ESPNU, if I'm correct. But uh, so that's uh, you know once again TV rules the world. But um, the one thing that I'm looking for, guys, is uh, we go to this uh, last uh, stretch of non-conference games. Is you know this team has to understand that they got to get everybody's best shot. You know you know a program that's won four straight has been to four straight NCAA tournaments is kind of like you know people understand that they know and they're going to be coming after them. And I don't think that they've kind of really grasped that concept yet they i don't know if they still think they're like a little bit underdogish to a degree and they're like you know flying under the radar i mean that those days maybe are, are over at least for now they have to understand that you know they're gonna get everybody's best shot and they certainly got it in the brown game they got it in umass and you know and even the uri game that has uh that's doesn't need much explanation as a rivalry game but you know they have to understand that you know to fight fire with fire and i think sometimes this PC team has like eased into games, and you can't ease into a street fight because you know, we we saw what happened, especially in the first half against UMass when you get down by double digits and fighting back like that. You know, granted they did fight back, but they didn't have enough left in the tank to finish. So I think uh, getting off to a better start, I'm sure that's being stressed this week too, and understanding that uh, regardless of team's records, they're going to come right after them. Yeah, and Mike pointed out before Stony Brook loves to come out to hot start and kind of jump all over teams and you you hit the nail on the head these teams towards the end of the schedule here towards the end of the non-conference schedule this is like their last big game you know after providence stony brook's best opponent is uh, maybe uvm i know they play rutgers but it's probably uvm so they're going to come at pc with all they have if they're going to try and grab another big non-conference win that's what they're looking for um similar to brown and similar to Ryder and all these other teams so they i think they really have to realize that at some point and they can't just lay flat in them in the first 10 minutes against a team like this, because this is a, this is a huge game for them coming into Providence and they need it. So I think that's a, that's a really good point. I, 
I also think too, Jalen Lindsey, he needs to shoot the ball more. And now he he's not a creator. I mean, he's not going to uh, create his own shots. I would love to see them set more screens for him. I I think his season high is nine in terms of the number of shots he's taken in a game. I mean, he's shooting a ridiculous clip from three. That was uh, he's shooting a ridiculous clip from three. I mean, uh, you got to ride that hot hand. I feel uh, they they go to him and then they just stay away from him for long stretches. Like we said, I think the only time I've ever, I can only remember him like putting the ball in the dribble is when he hit that shot against URI last year where uh, it was kind of like one of those, oh, those G's moments. And then uh, he kind of bailed everybody out at the last second. But he's not a guy that's going to put the ball in the deck. He needs help to maybe get open, kind of maybe like a Fizikas, but not extreme. I always thought that Ryan Fizikas needed like three screens in order before he can get open. I think uh, with Jalen, maybe you got to set a hard screen maybe free him up and uh, let him go. But I think that has to be maybe a focal point going forward because you need scoring punch, and that's uh, that's a direct tie into maybe produce, to increasing his production. Yeah, if you could run more screens for Jim, that, that would be so ideal because a lot of times I feel like they're pretty reliant on him finding an opening in transition. So, you know, they're driving and, and kicking out to him. and. That's great, and it, and it works a lot, and he's open a lot in transition because he's sitting in the corner or sitting on the wing. But if you could run in a half-court set, run some screens off, and it, it would just make a lot more sense because, you know, the guy's shooting close to 54% from three. You got to get the guy more shots, and you can't rely on him, you know, finding an opening in, the, in transition because he's not going to put the ball on the floor and create for himself. That's just not his game. And so, yeah, if, if you could find screens in the half-court offense, it would open up a whole other world of contributions for this offense. And that goes back to, uh, you know, maybe production from uh, the two bigs, Watson and uh, Felicia. Exactly, yeah. That department. Well, they're, they're certainly going to need all the help they can get without without Diallo and White and a banged-up Cartwright. Uh, but uh, next time out will be Sunday. We will see you guys next week for the uh, to, to recap. Hopefully a uh, easy Friar victory for everyone's sake in, in Providence right now. I know everyone's getting ready for the holidays. Uh, Hanukkah is here. Christmas will be here before we know it. So uh, I think I think everybody hopefully will be back with uh, to talk about uh, some progress and a Providence win. Well, I don't know about you guys, but I gotta go back to the library. You got a couple more uh, midterm, a couple more finals. <laughs> I got to plow through. So uh, we'll uh, we'll see everybody. Uh, well, I'll definitely see you, Chris, Sunday at uh, yep. Doug, and then yep. Mike, and we'll definitely see you at. Uh, at the blackjack tables, we'll see each yeah. other at the blackjack tables. Yeah, we'll see the blackjack. Maybe we should record a podcast from the blackjack table, live from the casino. <laughs> live from Uncle Phil. That'd be great. All right, that was episode four of the Providence Friarcast. Thanks for joining us again for another episode. Uh, Ten games into the Friar season, Brendan, Chris, and I broke it down a little bit there. Uh, some of the things that we thought. Ed Cooley needs to improve on, and uh, we previewed a little bit of the Stony Brook game, looked ahead a little bit to maybe uh, some blackjack at Mohegan Sun next week, but you know we'll, we'll talk next week. We'll have another podcast out before that Houston game at Mohegan Sun. Make sure you head to iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe, rate, review. We've gotten some good ratings uh, so far, so keep those up really helps us to uh, to grow the podcast, find more more people to, to listen, which is always good. Shout out here to some of my patrons. 
A uh, little plug for the Patreon, patreon.com slash PCBB1917. For as little as $3, you get access to our Slack chat community uh, where we talk all kinds of things. And For $5 a month, you get access to a special recruiting channel on the Slack community. For $10 a month, you get your name shared out in a podcast and more. Uh, my patrons have a little surprise coming their way, as I mentioned last week in the uh, in the end of the episode. Some of the people also who, who did the surprise PCBB hashtag may also have a little surprise coming their way, so everyone there should should uh, keep their eyes on their Twitter feed for uh, for me to reach out to them possibly for a little Christmas surprise. You can head over there. It's patreon.com slash PCBB1917. Check it out. Really helpful for me to uh, keep the blog moving and keep the podcast moving and hopefully hit the road a little bit with the Friars uh, come Big East play. I'm eyeing maybe a trip out to Milwaukee, uh, maybe a trip out to Chicago. I have some some things in the works, um, and and every everyone who's over there, Patreon really helps with that. So a special shout out now to JLD, John Lee Dumas, Mike Evans, my parents, Adam Nagel, Bob Allison, Ron Torbick, Brendan Ryan, Dan Marcus, Joe DeAngelis, Dennis Corbett, Mike Saburn, Ray Penza, Dennis Burns, Alex Simeone. Chris Thurlow, G, Terry Meyer, and Alan Russ. So special thanks to all of those fine gentlemen. As I mentioned, we will have uh, another episode next week. Also hope to uh, have some guests in some upcoming podcasts. Um, also, it's possible that you'll get a one-off uh, episode with just, just me and a guest, or Chris and a guest, or Brendan and a guest. So make sure you subscribe on iTunes to get the latest and greatest episode as they are released. Uh, you find them on iTunes, find them on Overcast, you find them on any podcast uh, application that you can get your hands on. We are available there. So hopefully you head out to the dunk this weekend on Sunday ahead of that Patriots game to see the Friars take on Stony Brook. And uh, we'll talk to everybody next week. Don't forget to subscribe to the Providence Friarcast on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. Follow Mike, follow Mike Hopkins on Twitter and Instagram at PCBB1917. Like the Facebook page, and as always, stay classy, Friartown.